your soul with all your strength, your mind. These words can be found in the book of Matthew in chapter 22 at verse 37. This was an answer to the question that had been addressed to Jesus. A lawyer came to Jesus. The text tells us that he was testing Jesus. In other words, he wasn't really seeking the truth. So he asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And this was his response. In another parallel passage in the book of Luke in chapter 10, a lawyer came to Jesus testing him and asked him the same question. In that case, Jesus turned around and one of the ways in which he taught, he said, well, you tell me. And this is the response he gave. But on this occasion, Jesus said that this is the greatest commandment, and that is to love God with your all. Now, if you look in your Bibles, in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 6, verse 5, 6, and 7, you will find these words that Jesus quoted. Now, what this helps us to understand, if we're good Bible students, you've got a Bible now. If you look at Matthew 22, verse 37, if you have a Bible reference, either in the center column or somewhere at the bottom, you're going to find Deuteronomy chapter 6, which Jesus quotes, except over in Deuteronomy chapter 6 at verse 5, you're going to find the word strength instead of the word mind. But I want you to notice verse 6, it says, these are the things that I command you that ought to be within your heart. And then notice verse 7, he says, you ought to teach these things to your children. So these were instructions that God gave to Israel. Now, when you stop and think about this law that God gave to Israel, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, was the basis of all the laws that God gave Israel. In fact, there were over 600 laws, statutes, and commandments that God gave to Israel to regulate their conduct. You see, they lived under what is called a theocracy. It's not a Bible word, but the concept is. God regulated their civil affairs, God regulated their religious affairs, and God regulated their family life. In other words, God ruled over them in every area of their lives. And he does the same today. But nevertheless, the Jews would sometimes try to figure out if the, of all the commandments that God gave, which one would be the one that would encompass all of those. Well, Jesus tells us this is that law. And that is to love God with our all. He goes on to say the second commandment is likened to this. And so I simply introduce that to simply point out the fact that here is one of the things that they do not teach in school. Having said that, I want to pause and I want to acknowledge first and always my gratitude to almighty God. I like to use the words of the psalmist from the 40th Psalm, where there the psalmist says, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare them and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. When we think about all the blessings that God has provided, I'm talking about his providence. His general providence is over all mankind. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, 45, he makes the sun rise on the good and the evil. Every breath that we take comes from God. So we're all beneficiaries of God's providence. But then there is God's special providence for his children. In Ephesians 1, 3, the Bible says all, every spiritual blessing is in Christ. 
And so I'm grateful for the providence of God. And I'm grateful for this wonderful fellowship that God has allowed us to become a part of. And I'm grateful for the kind and warm invitations for me to come again with my lovely bride, Bessie, to worship and work with you in this special effort. As I look in this assembly and as I recall our previous times coming here, again, this is one good-looking group of God's people. And I'm glad to be with you this week. And so having said that, I want to tell you why this lesson is so important. Because school is not the same as when we were growing up. And I know there are many who perhaps are a little bit more grayer than I am. And you can recall school is just not the same. One of the fundamental basics in school have often been what they call reading, writing, and arithmetic. The three R's, if you will. Which educators think that these are basically the fundamentals that will cover or help individuals learn and be prepared for later life. But I think it's a bit ironic that these so-called educators fail to understand that these three R's, two of them, don't even begin with the word R. And that is reading, writing, and arithmetic. But what I want to do is, from a spiritual standpoint, I want to look at three R's that I think are basic fundamental principles that will help us to understand things that ought to be taught in the home because these are things that are not taught in school. And when I say school, I'm talking about public and private school. And I know in places like this in Shelbyville that there are a lot of folks who homeschool their kids. And even after homeschooling their kids, oftentimes they go off to colleges and universities. And I'm going to tell you, some of the things we're talking about this morning, these things are certainly not taught in colleges and universities. So having said that, as an introduction and a background, I want us to begin this morning. And I'm going to begin with a definition of some of these terms. The three R's that I want to talk about, first of all, is respect. I believe that it should be the first principles that children should be taught, that all of us should be taught, that all of us should learn. Respect, by definition, is simply a feeling of deep admiration. Respect is due regard for others. It means an admiration for someone or something that is elicited by their abilities, their qualities, or their achievement. It means regard for the feelings or the wishes or the rights or the tradition of others. Synonyms would be fear, esteem, praise, reverence, and honor. So as we begin our study this morning, one of the first things that I want us to understand as far as things not taught in school is fear and reverence and respect for Almighty God. That's where it should begin. And so what I want us to do, first of all, I want us to go all the way back in our Bible in the book of Exodus, Exodus in chapter 19. So I want to establish the context here. The book of Exodus has to do with the exiting out of, going out of. You see, Israel had been enslaved in Egypt over 400 years, according to even what God had said to Abraham. So we're tracing somewhat the history of Israel as it is being told by Moses, because Moses is believed to have written the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
So here is what is recorded to us in the book of Exodus chapter 18, if you will. I want you to notice that verse 20, because this is Moses' father-in-law Jethro, who is giving him some advice. He says, you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. So God says, through Moses, by inspiration, from the mouth of Jethro, that there are certain things that parents should teach their children who should teach their children. And these are things that are not taught in school. He talks about the laws, statutes, commandments. And this simply helps us understand how God has given us rules whereby we should live and our children should live. When you get to the book of Exodus in chapter 19, God gives Israel, this is where they become a great nation now. A nation is a group of people who are defined by geography, by land. They are defined by the, the, the land, the laws, if you will, just as God had made those promises to Abraham. And of course, this is where they become a great nation, as God had promised in Genesis chapter 12. Now, before they meet God at Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, in Genesis, in, I mean, in the book of Exodus in chapter 20, where the law is given, God gives them specific instructions on how they ought to meet with him. Now, I'm just going to say this as I pause. Maybe we need to look at the instructions that God gave to Israel. He said, you wash yourself. You prepare to meet God. You know, a lot of people today, they, they, they've developed this come as you are attitude when we come into the presence of God. That's exactly what Israel is, is doing here. So what I'm saying is one of the things that we should teach our children is that when we come into the presence of God, we should prepare ourselves. I think that has to do with our minds, but I think that also has to do with our appearance. I think it has to do with our whole being, because that's what loving God is all about. Our mind, our soul, our spirit, our strength with our all. God says you wash yourself, you prepare yourself. Because you're getting ready to meet with God. So in Genesis, in, I'm, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 20, God gives them the Ten Commandment law. And I want you to notice in Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 18. All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. Now notice what Moses says in response to what the people say. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. And so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So what happens here is God is speaking. And the mountain was smoking and there was darkness. And there was lightning and the people were afraid. And they say, Moses, you go up on the mountain and whatever God says, that's what we are going to do. They were really afraid. You will notice in the text it talks about two kinds of fear. 
I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, where there are some serious electrical storms and lightnings. I remember when we were young, the lightning would flash across the sky and right after that, the thunder would rumble. And I remember my mother would say, you children be quiet because God is talking. That's the impression we've got here. And I remember when that lightning would strike and we would be afraid. Well, one of these words here is fear. Two times it appears in our English, but this is two different Hebrew words. You know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. You see, the concept of fear in relationship to God and salvation is something that's not very popular today. I remember what Jesus said with reference to fear. He says, fear not him who can destroy the body, but rather fear him who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. We're talking about, number one, the kind of fear that would cause us to stand up and not want to disappoint God. But we're also talking about the kind of fear that is due God because of who he is. You're familiar with Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, right? The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of knowledge. But what do fools do? They despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9 10 says the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When we come to recognize, when we come to know who God is, let me tell you what, God deserves our due. You see, because who these people are, where they have come from, their heritage should indicate them the respect that they should have for Almighty God. This is Jehovah God who had made promises to Abraham. This is the God that Moses writes about in the very beginning when he says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, when he said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the Hebrew word there in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is Elohim. Even though it appears as a singular in our language, it's for talking about basically the divine nature of God, what God is like. Young children sometimes ask their mamas and daddies, they say, Daddy, Mama, what is God like? Well, let me tell you what God is like. There is God the Father, there is God the Son, there is God the Holy Spirit. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Bible said the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. So there is God the Father, there is God the Spirit, but there is also God the Son. Look at John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the word was God. So we're talking about a term the Bible uses as the Godhead or the divine nature of God. So that tells me that God is our creator. It helps us understand where we come from. You see, this is the same God that met with Israel at Mount Sinai because he had made promises to Abraham, Genesis in chapter 12. And so when we stop and think about this God who created us, let me tell you what, God deserves our respect and our due. I know when I was growing up, it seems as if everybody believed in God. But you know, today that's not the case. Especially when our children go to school, they're taught a whole lot of things, but they cannot be taught about creation. They cannot be taught about intelligent design. 
which is basically the belief that this universe, this cosmos, was created by an all-powerful being, intelligent being, rather than by natural selection or by chance. It seems more reasonable to be to believe what the record tells me. The record tells me that this universe, this cosmos, was created in six literal 24-hour days, and God rested on the seventh day. And so let me tell you what that means, folks. It means that it leaves no room for organic evolution. That life comes from non-living things. It tells me it leaves no room for theistic evolution. That God got it started and things evolved over eons and eons of time. No, this is the God who made promises to Abraham. But this is the God we go all the way back to the beginning. And we can see he is eternal. And what we have here is an event in history where God reveals himself to the nation of Israel. And I remember what John said, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by or through Jesus Christ. So basically, folks, what I'm telling you is they don't teach this in school. I'm going to tell you what you're going to find that is being taught in schools today. And this is what a, a lot of youngsters don't even understand or believe. They don't understand what they're being taught. There is a philosophy, and that's what it is, a philosophy called humanism. And the document that is a result of humanism is the Humanist Manifesto. And in the first place, humanists teach that there is no evidence that God exists and that man was not created, but he was evolved from a lower life form by natural processes. And I'm going to talk about this philosophy a little bit later, especially when we talk about the problem of self. Because when you take God out of the equation, what it basically does is it allows people to do what they want to do. But what God wants us to understand from the very beginning, folks, is that he is God. He created us. Whether we accept the record or not, let me tell you this, folks, the evidence is here. The universe is here. We may disagree about how it got here, but it's here. And God is still God, and we're going to have to answer to God. And he deserves our respect. Because he is God. And a lot of times when people speak the name of God, it is either spoken with profanity or it's used as a euphemism or an afterthought. And I think it is sad. And so what I'm saying to you folks is that they're not going to teach this in school, but what we need to teach is that we need to have reverence and respect for God. And when we think about God or when we utter words that have reference to do with God, it needs to be spoken with reverence and respect. Because they're not going to teach you this in school. Second of all, we need to have respect for Elders. This is obviously not talking about the organization of the New Testament church, but the priests who were to teach the people. They give us specific instructions in the book of Leviticus. 
It had to do with the Levitical priests and their instructions by God to teach the people the law. And among the things that they were to teach is what we find here in the book of Leviticus in chapter 19 at verse 32. You shall rise before the gray headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am Jehovah. So here again, we find reverence and respect for God. And when we respect God, you know what we're going to do? We are going to respect older people. He calls them hoary head. And I'm going to tell you what this also tells us, folks. Just like Elijah would tell us, don't you make fun of bald-headed men either. What this is telling us, by virtue of their age and their wisdom, God says they must be respected, held in high esteem. I remember when I was growing up, mom and dad taught us everybody older than you, you put a handle on it, boy. In other words, they were Mr. or Miss. We're living in a society today where it's almost a shame to become old. Nobody wants to grow older. But it's a fact of life. Ecclesiastes 12 talks about the declining years of life. You know what the alternative is, right? So if the Lord blesses us, we're going to grow older. And specifically, if a woman has lost her mate, in the book of 1 Timothy 5, God says we have a responsibility to pay him back. And so we look at all the history of people, human beings, and all the stories that have been written. And those older folks, those who are living, they should be honored. All the sacrifices they've made. For our best interests, God says you're to honor them. And so here at El Bethel, you ought to know who your widows are. You ought to know who your widowers are. You ought to know the older couples, who they are. And I tell you, young people, talk to them. Because they got a lot of history in their head. And I got to tell you what, a lot of lessons can be learned. And God says, if you reverence and respect me, you're going to respect your elders. It'd be almost capital punishment if there was disrespect with younger people when I was growing up. But this is one of the things. They're not going to teach you that in school. I'm going to tell you something else. They're not going to teach you respect for parents. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. The apostle Paul, with a bigger context, he's talking about the new man. He's talking about how you walk. Walk in wisdom. Walk in light. Walk in love. But we certainly ought to walk in obedience to God. He talks about the different roles that we have. And the roles that he says, not only he talks about a husband and a wife, he's Ephesians chapter 5, which goes into chapter 6. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it might be well with you, that you might live long on this earth. One of, the, one of the principles that parents should teach their children is reverence and respect for them and for the laws that they give them. And so what does it mean to honor mother? What does it mean to honor dad? Well, it means just like we honor God. We don't want to disappoint God. It means that when we speak highly of mom and dad, we speak with them of reverence. We honor them. 
we speak about the appreciation that we have for them. We let them know how much they mean to us. Let me tell you what it does not mean when we honor parents. We don't pout. We don't talk back. We don't sass. But we treat them with honor. And that goes all the way from God to older people as well as to parents. And I'm going to tell you something else. Respect for others. Especially in this political divisive world in which we live, these instructions were getting to Christians who the Apostle Peter says were going through a fiery trial. We'll look at this a little bit later tonight when we talk about the call to suffer. But look at 1 Peter in chapter 2. Two major doctrines he's dealing with. The doctrine of submission and the doctrine of suffering. And I got to tell you what, we live in a time where people talk about their rights, what they have a right to do. But I want to tell you what the Apostle Peter tells these Christians who under Nero and other Roman emperors, they faced some challenging times. And this is what was written to them. In the book of 1 Peter in chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, specifically with reference to servants, government. He says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or the governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, Yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Why is it that in all of these passages we find the reference to fearing God? Because God should come first. And if we love God with our all, we're going to listen to God and do what God says in all of these relationships. Relationships is what life's about. These people that we relate to in different ways. Here he's talking about civil government, first of all. Just like God regulates the civil affairs of Israel, God regulates our conduct today. Romans 13, every authority there is, is that which is ordained by God. When it comes to the home and family, Ephesians chapter 5, the husband, the wife, the parents inside the home. And when it comes to religion, Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. Colossians 1.18. So God regulates us in every area of our lives. But he says, children, basically, you listen to your parents. You do what your parents tell you to do. And I know just like they are children who don't listen. I know there are parents who don't listen. I know there are adults who don't listen. I know there are people who reject God. There are people who claim not to even believe God. But God is still God. And God has given us rules to live by. But you're not going to find this in school. And God is helping us to understand how we can live under the laws that he has given us and how can we not only enjoy life but how we can pass these blessings on to our children. And so the second of these three R's is responsibility. And let me define responsibility for us. It basically means having a job or duty. It means having control over something or someone. It means being able to answer for one's own conduct. Responsibility means having obligations. 
It means being able to choose for oneself between right and wrong. Let me give you the Navy's definition. The Navy's definition basically is doing what you're supposed to do and not doing what you're not supposed to do. And all of us have responsibilities. And these responsibilities come from God. Because all of us are subject to God. Because we are his creation. And so let me give you at least four areas. That is, right choices, proper behavior, integrity, as well as in temptation. So first of all, let's talk about right choice. That's what life's about. Because the choices that we make have consequences. Galatians 6, 7 is a, is a principle of the harvest. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. If we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we're going to reap everlasting life. Let me put it to you another way. There is pain associated with wrongdoing. Don't think that you can sin and get away with it. Sin has consequences. The right choices that we make in life, we will be blessed by them. But if we make, if we make wrong choices, we are going to have to pay the penalty for them. We can't push the blame off on anybody else. Which is what a lot of people are doing today, especially politicians. Every time something goes wrong, everybody want to blame somebody else. You see, but we are responsible for the choices that we make in life. Not only that, proper behavior. Because in the book of 1 Timothy in chapter 4, the apostle Paul talking to the young preacher he helps him to understand certain areas inside of his life that he needs to direct his attention to. Be an example, he says, to the believers. But I think this is also to everybody else. With reference to what you say, your conversation, we're responsible for what comes out of our mouth. You're responsible for your conduct. You're responsible for love. You're, you're responsible for faith. You're responsible for your purity in life. And so when we talk about responsibilities, parents are the one who ought to begin teaching about responsibilities. And young people are doomed to failure if they have to wait until they enter a formal classroom to learn about responsibilities. Children have to be taught that they will be held to account for certain things. And every young person needs to be assigned a job at home to be accountable for it. And parents are going to fail if they do not take the lead. And so when we talk about also integrity, it's who you are, especially who you are when you're by yourself. What do you like when you're by yourself? You know, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the law is not going to hear. What that means is God knows who we are on the inside. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest, is not manifest in his sight, but all are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4, 13, integrity. People with moral attributes. People who don't have character flaws. And we do all have, but we try to correct them. People understand that life is about temptation because our biggest enemy is Yes, self, but Satan, because he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So in other words, 
Temptation is universal. And so we're going to have to deal with the fact that we're going to be tested. That's what temptation is, to do right, to do wrong. God allows us to go through things so that our faith can be revealed that we're striving simply to do what's right. So let me talk a little bit more about this idea of responsibility. Because there are several areas in our lives that we need to recognize and we need to focus on because there are some things that are just not taught in school. You know, we talk about physical health as biology and those things like that. And so when we learn about our physical bodies, there are things within us that we need to also learn as far as our mental and as well as our emotional health. And that comes from the word of God, because God helps us to understand that there is a spiritual reality in every last one of us. There's an inner man. And so we've got to understand the concept of this inner man and learn how to take care of self. This is the reason why so many young people cannot cope in life. When problems come up, when certain situations come up, if they're not taught about the choices that they make in life and the consequences that they're gonna have, they'll be less likely to blame or point the finger at someone else. Children are being born into a world of silent communication. I'm talking about texting and emailing and messaging. And so their personal communication skills, how to engage and connect with people, so oftentimes is missing. I remember when we were growing up. We didn't have these technological games and tools, access to those. But we spent time with each other. And so a lot of young folks are growing up not knowing how to engage others in conversation. They grow up not being able to reason how to use logic in their discussions. Because these are the things that are not being taught in school. God helps us to understand these things through his word. Through some of these principles that we're talking about. So we're going to have to address the inner man. And look at what's going on inside because that's the reality of who we really are. We talk about values. Values is basically the worth of people and things. When children grow up placing more value on things and stuff, they fail to understand the value of the inner man, that people are more important than things. And these are some of the things that are certainly not taught in school. And then last but not least, there is repentance. Repentance simply means to change one's mind, to feel sorrow, regret, contrition. It means to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to God. And so at least three areas. Number one, proper motives. Number two, good thoughts. And number three, right actions. Because oftentimes in our society today, children are... Rewarded for doing good and punished for doing evil. But there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from making mistakes. There's a lot of lessons that can be learned from, from failure in life. But when we learn this first principle where we begin, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind and with all your strength. And when we come to recognize that we have not honored God the way we should honor God, we have not learned who God is, and given God the due, when we come to a realization with that, that will change our motives. The motives of life is why we do what we do. And our motives are going to be revealed in what we say, what we do, how we act, our behavior, our speech. And when we realize that we are not right with God, we'll change our motives so that we can be inconsistent with what God teaches us. But not only motives, good thoughts. The psalmist says, I've hid thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If God is not being taught in schools, if the word of God is not being taught in schools, this is where good thoughts come from. Philippians 4.8 tells us the things that we should think about. If we are daily Bible readers, if we're teaching our children to read the Bible daily, if we take advantage of the Bible class that are offered by the local congregation, if we are engaging in constant Bible study, we are stocking our minds with good things so we can not only teach our children, but we can prepare ourselves for life. And so, when we realize that, as most of us do, things come into our mind that should not be there, we drive them out with the word of God. We use the word of God to control ourselves, to control our minds, to control our thoughts. And of course, right actions. And this is what I want to close with. I want you to look in your Bibles in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 11. The wise man is addressing this, first of all, to young people, and then he'll address the declining years of life, which, of course, addresses those of older age, the declining years of life. In the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, the basic thought here is that we should live our lives with no regret. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and I want you to notice at verse 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9, he says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. Now, we're just going to pause with the, with the chapter break here. But this is addressed specifically to young people. He says, you know, you're only young once. Live your life. Enjoy your life. Look at all the things, the opportunities that are before you. Look at all what's available to you. Look at all the lessons you can learn from parents, from other older people. Look at what God has given you. He said, but you have to remember some things that God will not only hold you, but God is going to hold every last one of us accountable for the choices that we make in life. And so he says, you remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because if you do that, chances are you're going to remember him as you grow older. But if you don't remember God in your youth, 
You're going to live your life. You're going to be making choices that are contrary to the will of God. And I'm going to tell you, these are things that they don't teach in school. That we are, in fact, the result of what we think, our motives, our responses, the way we talk, the way we interact with other people. They will not teach you this in school. We are accountable to God. And he says in verse 6, remember your creator before the silver cord is loose. Now he's talking about actually death. And death will befall all of us. But listen very carefully. Young people die too. Because they're not only accidents. We become sometimes innocent victims of deranged people that live in this world. And our lives could be snuffed out at any moment. And if our lives are snuffed out, and listen very carefully, young people, and we have not lived in reverence and respect to God, we are going to have to answer to God. And that's why it's important for us as, as parents to teach our children what God says. And that's why it's important for children to listen to what God says. So we can be prepared to meet God in eternity. Because in our schools, they're not teaching about the reality of God in the first place. And they're not teaching about the reality of eternity. And they're not teaching about the judgment to come. But these things are a part of God's word that he wants us to know. He wants us to be examples to our children. And he wants our children to listen and to follow these things. Because they're not going to get them anywhere else. The lesson is yours. Thank you for your attention.